You are listening to Zeal Fear House. I am your host, David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Her focus here is on our relationship with our Heavenly Dad and all aspects of His kingdom, moving in greater intimacy with Him. Additional teachings, books, and articles may be found on my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and let's get rolling with this week's broadcast. And I was on mute. Hello, everybody. This is Neil for your house with David Murray. I'm joined, joined with uh, Dorothy uh, Carruthers from Blog Talk Radio. And uh, welcome. I'll have to edit out that dead that silence. Dorothy, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you doing? Did you catch your tail yet? <laughs> I'm doing it. Did I what, Dorothy? Did you catch that tail? I know you're always chasing that tail. I, I catch him, then he lets go, and then I, I let go, and I got to catch him again and stuff. It's a it's a fun <laughs> cycle. But uh, I, listen, we waste about fifteen seconds, so we got to get rolling because um, I know I got to keep these broadcasts to about thirty minutes, forty minutes tops. Uh, that's a mandate that I was set to. So uh, without over spiritualizing a spiritual teaching, that sounds like an oxymoron or a paradigm or something like that. Let's get into godly relationships. Uh, here is the key, guys. Here's something. We're, this is tonight is going to be a foundation. It's going to be a very broad foundational uh, appetizer into some topics on relationships. A, a series that we're going to probably be getting into for the next uh, several weeks to come. The next several broadcasts. And tonight we're going to be talking about basically two things. What is the purpose of relationships, and how to determine the health of relationship. And there's so much ground to cover. Tonight is not going to be exhausted. This is going to be a foundation which will offer a, a, a scriptural, proper theological platform from which we can begin discussing the different kinds of relationships and the different dynamics of a relationship. What makes them healthy? What does healthy mean? What makes them unhealthy? What does that mean? And how do we move? Uh, it's only exposing something that's contrary to the nature of the father is really only as beneficial as having the roadmap to know how to get back on course. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. No, I'm going to stay on track. Uh, Okay. So introduction here, the church guys, really a lot of us, a lot of this generation are living in a time when uh, discussions on what is, what are the dynamics of our relationship? What is the health of our relationship? And what they're meant to express are really not often talked about. We live in a day and age where one of the words, the expressions that has almost become a cliche is the word mixture. And not mixing or not having a mixture with uh, godliness, with ungodliness, with Jesus and Belial. Uh, there is a biblical foundation to it because it's in the Bible. There is a scriptural uh, middle of the road meaning kingdom. Middle of the road does not mean compromise. It can mean, 
when I refer to middle of the road, I, I am not big on compromise. Uh, I'm big on wisdom. Uh, not to say that I walk in it all the time, but that's my heart's desire. The scriptures say wisdom calls out in the marketplace. The middle of the road means we avoid the excessivenesses that come on either side of the path of life. Right? The scriptures say that the Lord is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That middle road is a path of life. You know, Amos said, can two walk unless they are agreed upon the path? Right? So when I'm talking about the middle of the road, I am talking squarely on the path of life heading toward intimacy with the Lord, where either side, to the right of that road is a ditch, to the left of that road is a ditch. I like to speak and train and live, most importantly, for my relationship with the Lord, first and foremost, path of life, the middle of the road, not compromise. Compromise is one of the things that's on either ditch, compromise things. Okay, so mixture. How does mixture fit in? What does mixture look like? What does it not look like? Those things, in order for us to discuss those topics, discuss the different types of relationship, what they're meant to look like, we first have to have a kingdom mindset. Everything we talk about, guys, I'm not going to get into too much of a dog like this early. Everything we discuss, if we're going to walk in it by the power of the kingdom, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and through the love and intimacy of the Father, we must have his mindset. If we're talking about politics, nationalism, racism, socialism, um, structures of government, the church's place in the world today, biblical prophecy, um, U.S. history, world history, guys, you name it. If we are, to the degree that we are discussing these things or have formulated a conviction or an opinion or have a, um, a sore spot or a hot spot or a button, to the degree that we approach any of these subjects or topics outside from the eternal blueprint of the Father's heart, we are in mixture. We are in compromise. Everything we must do must come flowing from his eternal plan. So as Christians living in the world but being not of the world, everything we discuss must come solely from what is the eternal redemptive plan of the Lord and how does whatever we're going to discuss fit into that. We have no business forming an allegiance toward anything other than the Father's heart and his eternal plan. And that pulling that back now, coming down a little bit more from that rung, deals with relationships. The purpose of relationships, guys, is to have a mutual exchange of the glory and goodness of God. All relationships are meant to point to the heart of the Father. They point first and foremost through the expression of his nature. I'm going to repeat that. All relationships are meant to be a mutual exchange of the goodness and glory of God. The way we are meant to exchange the goodness and the glory of God, show that, reveal that, is by expressing his nature. Guys, we must understand this. It affects every aspect of our interactions with others. God created us for deep intimacy and fellowship we are meant to flow in that 
intimacy. We are meant to live and move and in Christ have our being. From the depth of that intimacy and fellowship, every interaction we have with others is meant to express the intimacy, the depth, the dynamic of our relationship with the Lord. And so that means that the kind of relationship we have with our Heavenly Father will determine, from our eternal perspective, it will determine how we relate to others. There are several categories of relationships, okay? I'm, I'm, they're broad, basic categories, but they sum up. Other things can be subdivided. There's the stranger, also known as, in scriptures, the neighbor. That's important when we get into that. There's the stranger, those we don't know. Jesus called them our neighbors and our friends, okay? So there's strangers, there's acquaintances, there's friendships, there's family, and there's marriage. Okay, those are the broad basics where everything can pretty much be subdivided into them. Every relationship, no matter what kind or classification of relationship that is, it's meant to display the nature of the Father. It's meant to point to his heart and his desire for intimacy. That in itself, guys, if we just stopped, we can just meditate on that and ask the Lord. This is going to be a short broadcast, guys, because this is, um, we're all, myself included, going to have homework, uh, extra credit for our own hearts, extra credit for our heart, not to earn brownie points with the Lord, no such thing, right? Stop and say, what level of relationships do I have with strangers, acquaintances, friends, family, or my marriage? Do I have that do not display the nature of the Father, the dynamic or aspects of my relationship with anyone else in any one of those classifications? Do my interactions not point to the heart of the Father? Am I not expressing the nature of the Father? Said another way, guys, we can work backwards from that. If any of my interactions that I have with strangers, acquaintances, friends, family, or my spouse, why do they not display the goodness and glory of God? And we can trace that back to a belief we have about ourselves and our Lord that is not grounded in truth. Okay, tonight, guys, we're just, this is a broad foundation. We're going to get into, in the coming weeks, all of the twisted scriptures, all of the... um, topics and parables and things that are taken out of context. You guys know I'm very big on context and on exercising wisdom, common sense. We have the Holy Spirit. So what is not common to the world is common to us because we have all knowledge and wisdom inside of us. We have access to that, to that treasure house of wisdom all within our grasp. Let's look at, um, there's two things, guys. Okay. So let's establish the foundation. Well, how do we know that our relationship with others are meant to display the goodness and glory of God? You know, there's people will be thinking of different scripture verses, right? We always go under certain covenants in the Bible. Uh, we like to go under um, different scriptures that, that will justify our lack of love or justify our hiding from our own hurt because we don't want to look at the pain. Please remember, guys, the Bible, I've said this many times, is progressive revelation. We are progressively moving from Genesis to Revelation. The Old Testament was Jesus is coming. 
how that was expressed and the revelation that was revealed of Jesus' coming changed within the different covenants throughout the Old Testament. The Mosaic Covenant was one of four other major covenants, the Adamic, Noahic, Davidic, um, and Abrahamic or patriarchal covenant. Right? They all progressively appointed, uh, pointed to Christ. The Gospels is Jesus has come. The Epistles is, are, Jesus is coming again. Old Testament, Jesus is coming. The Gospels, he is here. He is the Father in the flesh. He is the nature of our Creator revealed. The Epistles, he's coming again. Epistles and the Old Testament must conform to the nature of the earth walk and ministry of our Lord. That is vital. We will never, ever make sense of the Bible if we do not begin to get that in order, guys. Everything comes back to the earth ministry of Jesus Christ. God is love, and he showed us love. God is love does not mean that he does not care about unrighteousness or sin. They go hand in hand because he's a holy, loving God. And the degree that we embrace holiness, the degree that we uh, uh, behold his goodness, is the degree will be transformed more and more into his image, which means that to that degree in our relationship and in our intimacy, we get to enjoy deep communion with him. It was never about work, guys, ever, ever. It was about intimacy. Sin blocks us from a degree of intimacy, and he loves us so much he wants intimacy. The reason why we cast that aside so much, guys, is because we don't accept it. We truly do not believe that he loves us so much that he cares about sin, not because he's angry with us, but because he wants a deeper and deeper communion with us. We truly, truly, as a whole, do not accept that because when we look at our relationships with others and how the church reflects the nature of God, it's pretty dim a lot of times. Jesus said we're meant to be a light and a lamp, and the salt of the earth. But for a lot of us in the church, because we don't know any better, we've lost our saltiness, and we're dim. And there's no condemnation in that, guys. It's coming to right alignment. It's standing before him, allowing us to look at and show and pull back the things that have hurt us, the false beliefs, the abuse of others that we've sat under, the manipulation and the relationships we had growing up with that were horrible reflections of his image, that were demonic uh, reflections of a demonic belief system and a demonic value system, right? The world says your worth comes from how much I accept you, how, how highly you think about yourself, and I'm going to give love or withhold love based upon what I think should be given to you. That is a demonic belief system. And the church, by and large, has adopted that because just because we accept Jesus as our Savior does not mean that we've made him Lord of our belief system. We can't go around so quickly saying, I make Jesus Lord and Savior. We make him Savior. We accept the gift of righteousness. Then we enter into the voluntary process of him changing and becoming Lord of our belief system. As a man thinks within himself, so he is, Proverbs 23. So, Let's look at an example of the earth ministry of Jesus. All things point to the nature of the Father, and they're revealed through the Gospels. Let's look at Matthew 22, 36. 
let's let's say teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Uh, these are one of the experts of the law. One of the the I'll classify them loosely, whether he was by title or not, a Pharisee, someone who was self righteous. Said teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Ton of stuff we get into with this. Um, I mean, we could we could spend a month just talking about this one verse and all the different topics of the kingdom that this brings up. We're going to hone in just on this uh, this one part: love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus prefaced it by the greatest commandment: love the Lord. Because as we are able to receive His love and love the Lord, to that degree, we will love our neighbors from a God kind of love. I'm talking about an earthly love, a fallen love, uh, carnal love. I'm talking about God's kind of love. To the degree that we live in intimacy and union and an expression of the love of God and his love toward us is the degree that we will love our neighbors as ourselves because that's exactly how we love. We love others based upon how we believe we are loved. And we are meant to love ourselves based upon what the Father has declared over us who he says we are. Others have said we are. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we're to love ourselves according to what the Lord has declared over us. That's vital. Guys, Matthew 22, this section here, 2240, it tells us what to do, but it's Luke 10.25 that shows us what it, it looks like. And the Bible does this all the time, guys. The Bible tells us, gives us instructions of the kingdom, keys to the kingdom, and then elsewhere it gives us examples of those principles so that we can understand what it looks like. The expression of love is found in the teachings of Jesus. In, in this parable, the Good Samaritan, Luke 25, 37, I'm going to turn to it now. I'm going to read it real quick. Uh, and it starts off with this. It starts, Luke, the, the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan is in response to um, the man who asked uh, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? It's cross-referenced here in Luke. So he asked him, what's the greatest one? Jesus answered it. And it says in Luke 10.29, right, the same story after Jesus says, love the Lord and then love your neighbor as yourself. It says, verse 29, but he, the man, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Here's a key, guys. What does it mean that the man was trying to justify himself? If Jesus answered, you're to love the Lord and love your neighbor, and the man wanted to justify himself and ask, who is my neighbor? What is he really asking the Lord? When we think on these verses and we decide how much we want to love people and we are justifying ourselves, what are we really saying? We're saying we want to justify our lack of love. If we're looking for qualifications on how much to love someone, we're looking to justify the lack of love that's flowing through us. That's important, guys. Let's go back. Let's read this. Um, 
Well, he talks about the whole parallel. Pretty much, I would say everyone understands the the story, knows the story of the Good Samaritans. Luke ten ten thirties when it starts, it talks about the Samaritan, how the Samaritan went around, and the Samaritan, when the man who was beaten up, his own countrymen left him for dead. A priest who was meant to who was meant to display the image of the Father. Another one of his Levites meaning another one of his own uh, clansmen left, didn't, didn't look at him. These are talked about classifications of friends. You have a, a Levite, which is meant to be a father figure, and you have um, a priest who is meant to display the image of God. They both rejected the man. The per- what Jesus did when he discussed the story of the Good Samaritan, the reason why, guys, he used this and it, and the reason why it was so powerful, two things. One, it starts with the lowest form of interactions. It's an interaction with a stranger. It is the lowest form, meaning the least intimate category of relationship of the five, stranger, acquaintance, friend, family, and spouse. This interaction talks about the lowest one, a stranger. And he uses a Samaritan. Now, for, for those of you who don't know, the northern part of Israel, the Samaritans, were conquered by the Syrians in 721 B.C. They were carted away and were eventually resettled over the period of the next hundred years, give or take. As they were resettled, the Jews living in that region married and mingled with the pagans in that region. So as they did that, Ezra and Nehemiah, when they resettled, from they came back from Babylon, the southern area, Jerusalem, they were not allowed to, to, to mingle. They had to cut off their wives and their, and, and their relationships, and so they stayed pure. The northern kingdom did not have the leadership that the southern, that the southern exiles had. So when Samaria was resettled, they continued to intermarry, intermingle, and they formed, they took the law, they took the prophets, they took the, the covenant, the Old Testament covenant, and they mingled it with pagan religions, and they formed this hybrid form of religion. The southern Jews, once they forever were purged of their idolatry, they couldn't stand the Samaritans because they were a mixture. Like right, they were mixture. They mingled the truth of God with lies. Jesus was addressing that very hardness of heart toward people that were in mixture. The story of the Samaritan is one of the most offensive parables that was told to the Jews. The only one that's up there to the same degree, probably that amount, give or take, in my opinion, would be the story of the prodigal son. Extremely offensive. The story of the Samaritan would make the legalistic people gnash their teeth because they hated them. And Jesus outright said, your neighbor is the one in delusion and mixture, the one who doesn't know any better. That is not the state of the church by and large, guys. And this is why it is so important to understand. Guys, to the degree we do not understand the heart of the Father, the heart that the Father was revealed through the Son on the earth walk, we will not understand the purpose of relationships. The guys, they're meant to mutually express the nature of the Father. If we don't understand that, we will distort, pervert, and twist our relationships 
no matter what category of relationship, no matter what depth of relationship we have with someone, we are going to pervert it and walk in darkness in the way we relate to them to the degree that we have perverted the understanding of the nature of our Father. We could just sit and meditate. And I, guys, I, with all my heart, ask you after this broadcast, just sit with the Lord. Ask for the full power of the, the parable of the Samaritan to sink in. Where are we in, in relation to the heart of those that are in mixture, of those that walk in compromised beliefs, of those that are in sin? Remember, guys, all of the Bible is seen through the manifest expression of the nature of God. Jesus was the manifest expression of who God is. Jesus did not tolerate sin, period, any sin. He did not tell the Pharisees, hey, you guys, I know you hate certain sins, but, uh, you, but you're walking these other sins. But I'm going to let the sin of self-righteousness go because you really you hate the sin of idolatry. And the fact that you have idolatry in your own heart by self-righteousness, I'm going to let that go because, because you don't sacrifice to, to idols and you don't eat meat with blood in it and, and you fulfill a lot of the law. So I, I see your heart and I see that it's really not about love. You just want to do what's right to justify yourself. So I'm going to, I'm going to, ex, I'm going to not judge or separate or deal with the hardness of your heart because you're uncompromising in other areas. Jesus didn't do that, guys. He didn't make a distinction. Sin is sin. He showed his goodness and his compassion for those that were broken and beaten down so that his goodness revealed would, would draw people out of their sin. If we look at the relationship he had with another stranger, the woman caught in adultery, the law, here's, here's the funny thing, guys. The law said both the man and the woman there were consequences. But when the men of the village came to Jesus, they only wanted to stone the woman. They did not address the Levitical laws and requirements of what a man had to go through adultery. That woman got dragged out to the street. She was with a man. The man didn't get dragged out to the street. They were not looking for righteousness. They were looking to express the hatred in their heart. It was a sign of the times. Jesus was the only one there who had the legal right, who was blameless, to cast that stone. And he didn't. His goodness drew that woman out of her sin. Did she permanently change? We don't know. That's between her and the Lord. But the Lord chose, in his wisdom and in his nature, to use compassion and love to give the woman an opportunity to go and sin no more. We are to ask the Lord for his heart in every situation, first and foremost. Then what that person does is between them and the Lord. We cannot do that if we don't understand his nature. That's why the Gospels are so important to read, guys. And that's why we, we need to filter everything through the earth ministry of Jesus, because he was the exact representation of the Father. So point number one, what is the purpose of relationships? It's to reveal God's nature. What is, uh, number two, how do we determine the health of any given relationship in any category? So how do we determine it? How do we look at that? How do we examine? How do we take an inventory? It's pretty simple, guys. 
the health of our relationship, our interactions with any person, you know, we talked about it, will be determined by the health of our own soul. We want to see the health of, of what kind of relationships we have, how healthy they are. What does it mean by healthy? How much they reflect the nature of the Father. That's going to be our de- definition of health. The world's definition of health differs from that. Our definition is healthy is life. How much it exudes life. When we talk about health, we talk about vibrancy, right? Exuding life. How much does our relationships exude the life and the nature of the Father and the Holy Spirit that has been placed inside of us, that churns within us? All we have to do is look at the health of our own soul, our mind, will, and emotions. The expression of our interactions will always come back to what we believe about our Lord, guys, and what we believe about ourselves. And it all must start from love. So we have to go back to an exam and say, okay, these are things, some things that are off. Why, why are they off? Why do I struggle with X, Y, Z? Why is my initial innate response, natural response, whether I, whether I curb it or whether I um, flow with it, is incidental. What is the first and foremost thing that wants to express itself in given interactions? That will come back to how much we know we're loved by the Father. It will come back to the degree of intimacy we have with our Lord and Savior. We're going to close out with this. Consider this verse, guys. John fifteen thirteen. This is shortly before Jesus is starting to wrap things up. He's getting ready to fulfill the commission, uh, excuse me, to fulfill um, the redemptive plan and release the commission upon the earth through the Holy Spirit in the, in the born-again believers. John 15, 13 says, he's talking to the 12 apostles, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Right? So a lot of us think, well, there's the qualifier right there. Friends. And we begin to do exactly what the self-righteous man did in Luke 10, 25. Who's my neighbor? Well, who's my friend? The Bible says here we're laid down a life for one's friends. The Greek word for friend there is philos. It's Strong's 5384. It means someone dearly loved or prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant held dear in a close bond of personal affection. So it sounds like Jesus is saying, greater love has no man than this. Lay down your life for those that you love in a personal, intimate, trusted, affectionate way. So there's a qualifier, right? But we already know from earlier on his earth walk, he defined love through the Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is those that are hated by you and that you hate you to love them. Consider John fifteen thirteen within the context of his nature, guys. Think of this. John three sixteen, which we all know, right? There's one verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Consider this, guys. Jesus' life was laid down for us while we were dead to him. Where the scriptures say our spiritual condition and the condition of our outlook toward God was we were haters of him, lovers of iniquity, sinners. He looked forward into eternity and saw us as who we are called to be. See, he didn't see our sin as the end 
result of what the desires of his heart were. While we were bound for eternal separation, he looked past and said, no, there's a redemptive plan that will allow my children to be called friends. He didn't see our condition presently. He saw the atonement of the cross applied to our lives for what we would become. For the end of Jesus' walk, he turned to the apostles. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. When Jesus is saying, lay down your life for your friends, he is asking us to have his mindset and do not see the person before you, but see them through the eternal purpose of what's on the desire of Father's heart. It's intimacy. It's reconciliation. You want some scriptures for that? I'm glad you asked. Look these up, guys, if you have time. Romans 5.8, Ephesians 2.1, Colossians 1.21, 1 John 4.10, Hebrews 12.2. I'll read Hebrews 12, too. It's one of my favorites. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, scorning its shame. The joy set before him, guys, was what would take place after we received his gift. The pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him endured the cross because he didn't see us in what we were now. He saw what he wanted us to become. He saw with those of us who would reach out and accept his goodness, it brought him such joy. The thought of future intimacy, the thought of a healthy, vibrant relationship, our creator who made us, that brought him such joy that prophetic reality of what was to come is what allowed him to endure the torture of physical and spiritual separation from the Father. We all have the ability by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's what makes the new covenant better, the Bible says, than any other covenant. Please stop going to the old covenant anew we are made a new man we have the kingdom in us no other covenant had that that's at the heart of the health of our relationships guys understanding that as we begin to see how father god sees others that will change the way we interact with others but it has to start with us we need to begin asking some questions. Here's, here's some things, guys. Some things to, uh, here's, the, here's the homework. Here's the stuff for us to look at. That this is very challenging when I did this for myself. You can write this down as an exercise. If Father were to describe you to an angel, what are some things he would say? Okay. First one. If Father were to describe you to an angel, what are some of the things he would say about you? If, we're fa- if Father were to describe you to the devil, what are some things he would say about you to the devil? Now, if Father were to ask you to describe to Jesus who you are, 
how would you describe to yourself? So if we're sitting there, the Father and the Son and, and you, or, or you're together, three of you hanging out, and the Father turns to, to me and says, hey, David, David, I want you to do something. I want you to turn to my Son, turn to Jesus here, and I want you to describe to Jesus who you are. How would you describe yourself to Jesus, the presence of the Father? Now, to sum that up, once we've done that, for those of you that are willing to step through that, that's, that's challenging. That takes some courage, guys, but I guarantee you it brings life. Because everything that comes into truth, everything that is exposed, Jesus takes away. How do these words, how what, we have, what we've written down, when you write that down, how do what you wrote down, how does it compare to what the Bible says about you? What does the Bible say about you as a person who's living in the new covenant, who has the Holy Spirit inside of you, who is a New Testament believer? Remember, we're not old covenant believers. Meaning, what do I mean by that? I don't mean we don't believe in the covenant. The covenant's pointed to Christ. Okay, making sure that's clear. We don't live under the old covenant. The old covenant pointed to Jesus. We don't sacrifice goats and lambs and bulls, right, Hebrews tells us, because the reality is found in Christ already, right? How does our thoughts and words and expressions compare to what the Bible says we have become when we accepted Jesus? And I'll go back one even further than that, guys, because even that stops short. The scriptures say that God so loved the world. He loved you while you were a scornful hateful sinner. Romans 5.10, guys, says, for if we were God's enemies, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved through his life? Guys, we were enemies to God in our thinking, but that was not the Father's heart toward us. We must get that into our wheelhouse, guys. We are sharing a lot of things in this generation that are just garbage, outright choosing to sin against the Lord's heart. And it is no more pleasing than any other false doctrine or doctrine of error that's going on in this generation. If it's not true, it's not true. We don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to pick and choose where I'm going to allow God to sanctify me and where I'm going to say, no, Lord, I'm going to choose to live in this sin, whether it's the sin of the flesh or the sin of the soul, sin of the mind. The sin of my conduct, the sin of my thoughts, the sin of my belief system, or the sin of my body. It's, uh, it's sin. It's, it prevents a depth of intimacy. He died for intimacy. He was raised up to redeem us. I might have one or two more just to chew on, guys, but really look up these verses. Colossians one twenty one. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were sinners, hating him, enemies in our mind, guys, he loved us. So we tend to say, oh, you know, God loves you, now the righteousness of Christ, he loves you. Guys, the reality is he loved you when you were lost. That's why in Genesis, He skinned the first animals, shed the blood as a type and shadow of what was going to come. He loved us while we were, he saw generations of people 
that knew nothing about him. And he's calling us home. Every relationship, no matter what the dynamic is, guys, is meant to fulfill that purpose. What is the purpose of relationships? To display the glory and goodness of God. Our relationship with us between the Lord is intimacy. Everything flows out from that. We want to know the health of a relationship is look at what we believe. Look at the dynamic of our relationship with the Lord. How much of it is filled with fear and pain and uncertainty, condemnation. That will explain why we get patient, fearful, condemning, hurtful of others. It's, it's because we're wounded. He wants to heal that. He came to heal the brokenhearted. That word hearted, guys, means it has to deal with the soul. He came to heal the brokenhearted. After we receive the Holy Spirit reconciling our spirits to him, he wants to heal our hearts. He did not come into the world to condemn it, guys. He came to save it. Those aren't my words. That's the Bible. All right, guys? So we're going to begin getting into it. We're going to end here. This is a foundation. This is going to take some time for us to get in our wheelhouse because it's a paradigm shift for much of us. Um, we must see things the way the Father sees them. There was a time in my period in my, in my life um, where the Lord says, David, I want you to read anything else. You're going to spend the next year or so reading just the Gospels. And actually, I spent the next three years, all I did is read the Gospels. Again and again and again over Matthew to John, Matthew to John for years. And every time I read it, I stopped and I said, open up the eyes of my heart, Lord. Let me see as you see. And guess what happened, guys? All of these parables and the words of Jesus that I took a certain way, I began to realize, holy smokes, uh, I got it all wrong. And I got it all, Here's one example, and then we've got to close out, guys. But when Jesus says to love those that despitefully use you, for in doing so you will keep burning coals upon their head, and we go, yes, I'm going to be kind to them so that they can suffer. Are you kidding me, guys? Come on. I mean, I love that verse. I was like, yeah, so the motive of my heart is not to love people and show the goodness of God. The motive of my heart is false pretense. I'm going to love them on the outside with my conduct, but on the inside I'm secretly going to look forward to them being judged. That is inconsistent with the nature of Jesus. Because we don't take the time, we haven't been taught, we haven't digested the reality of his nature. When we step back and understand his nature, when we step back and understand what is the purpose of coals and fire, guys, it's to purify. Anytime, Genesis to Revelation, you talk about fire or coal, it purifies. It was the coal applied to the lips of the prophet that purified him and made him holy. And then the times what Jesus is talking about to that nation understood that principle very well. As you put burning coals upon someone, the heart of the, and the hand of Father God presses upon them, exposes sin, shows them the areas that they're moving outside of him, and brings them to repentance. The purpose of burning coals heaped on someone is to bring them to repentance. What is Jesus saying? As you display love to people who hate you, your love will bring them to repentance. 
that bears out in Romans 2 where it says, do you not know, do you despise the riches of his goodness, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance? See, guys, nothing in the Bible contradicts itself. Nothing. Every aspect that takes place is grounded in love, including the judgments to come, including the loving discipline that's on this world. It's love. We're going to get into that. We have lots of cool things we're going to go over, guys. This is going to affect not only how we begin, it's going to challenge us. What kind of relationship do we really have with our Lord? What kind of relationship we really got going on with him? And then from there, we're going to look at how we're meant to interact with strangers, a.k.a. the neighbor, acquaintances, friends, family, and then ultimately our spouses. So that's this week and 45 minutes. Have a tough time with that, Dorothy. We're going to sign off. Uh, anything uh, that you'd like to to share before we do so? The only thing I would like to expound on—that was an excellent teaching—was that the con- the concept of that we were at enmity with God in our evil behavior. I think Father's view of evil behavior is a lot different than ours. On a basic level, oh. we think of evil as being like. ISIS behavior, but it's not. It's just being against his plans and, and nature, right? That is a fantastic question, Dorothy. And that that question, you now I know your heart, so I know where you're coming from. There were people the, the, in any topic that we talk about, guys. We have to look at the motive of our heart. If the motive of our heart is to come into truth and accept His goodness and allow His goodness to change us, we're we're safeguarded. If the motive of our heart is to try to find self-justification in an attitude or our conduct that runs contrary to love, we've got problems. So when we're looking at evil behavior, it's the same thing. If I'm saying, well, what defines evil behavior? Now, I know, Dorothy, you're not saying this. I'm saying this for the benefit of of the church, for for other listeners. If we're saying, well, what does it mean? Does that mean that that, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of evil behavior or um, we were enemies – you know, based upon certain categories. The bottom line is, guys, if we have not received the gift of righteousness, then our, our, um, our standing before God has not been atoned for. So because the scriptures say we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, that means that the second our actions were in violation of his nature, we became enemies of the state. We became enemies of his kingdom. Why? Because anything that is outside of his nature is at enmity toward God. Sin is the exact opposite of God. It cannot come into his nature. It cannot come into his presence. It's burned up. It literally cannot enter because he will never violate his nature. So, the moment that we have sinned in our life, we entered into hatred against God. It's not about our conduct. It's that at one point, our behavior, whether it's our thoughts, whether it's our intentions, whether it's our expressions, any one of those things that violate the nature of our Father puts us in opposition to him. So there's no distinction. It doesn't make a difference. Now, that is not to say that, um, I mean, 
we'll talk more about this in, in the weeks to come, guys, but that doesn't mean that all sin is the same. The Bible talks about degrees of judgment upon degrees of sin. But I'm not interested in judgments. I'm interested in turning from whatever separates me from experiencing greater intimacy. If we as Christians, guys, are more concerned about how much we can sin or how much others can sin before we lose our salvation, our eyes are not on Jesus. And Hebrews 12.2 says we fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. If I'm looking to see how much I can get away with, or I'm looking to question, well, what does that mean? How much can other people sin? Our focus is all wrong, guys. Our focus is on the goodness of God because it is coming into his presence where we taste of his goodness. We feel the reality of his presence and his love that offers us the invitation to change our thinking. And then our free will enters into the equation. Yes, Lord, I will do this. I will be willing to, to pull this down, make this obedient to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We tear down everything that exalts itself up against the kingdom and the nature of our Father. We bring it to obedience. That's our choice. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment in 2 Corinthians, but we still get to choose. So without getting too much on a dog tail with that, um, Dorothy was really talking about our evil behavior is anything. It's of our actions, whether our conduct, our thoughts, but that at some point was the accumulation of our life. Our life is an accumulation of things that are unatoned until we receive the atonement of Jesus. So without the atonement of Jesus, we will be judged according to what the one action that we've done that um, prevents us from entering into his presence. And it just accumulates. You only need one thing. But the point of that was that what Paul was saying um, to the church at, at Colossae was that all of our collective behavior, guys, all of it equals and is hatred toward God. And yet in the midst of no matter what we did, he loved us and he saw us for what he wanted to do in us and reconcile us. Does that make sense, Dorothy, to explain that? Yes. I'm so glad you get me because I'm not always good at explaining what I'm thinking. <laughs> but yeah. well, we got two years under our belt. We got two years of this. Yeah. So, yeah, because a lot of people think, oh, those people over there are doing evil behavior. I don't, you know, and it's it's a misconception in the body, I think. Oh, well, and, and that goes many. back to self-justification. Yeah, that goes back to yeah. justifying ourselves. And, um, and I attempted to address that a little bit. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come, but we don't get to pick and choose, guys, and neither do I. I'm no different. I'm no exception. I don't get a special pass. Uh, we don't get to pick and choose where we are going to walk in alignment with his nature and where we don't. Uh, Are there certain sins that have farther reaching consequences? Yes. Jesus discusses them. He discusses them. He says that if you commit, um, you know, in under the old covenant, it says do not commit adultery. Jesus said that it says, I tell you that if you look at a woman lustfully, you commit adultery in his heart. He did not say that adultery of the heart is the same or has the same reaching consequences or fallouts as physical adultery. He never said that. The church is going around and saying, well, you're committing adultery. You're committing adultery. No, you're not. We're committing adultery in our heart, which is a sin. It's a violation of love. It's a breach of our relationship. And we're getting ahead of ourselves. But not all sins are equal in their fallout. 
if I get divorced and I have five children, the fallout and the amount of damage I'm going to do could potentially affect more people than if, for whatever reason, not getting to cause, and we're not discussing any of that, we're talking objective reality. If I divorce my wife, would have no children, the fallout of, of failing to reconcile mutually with no children will be less than the fallout that will take place with many children. That's an example of how walking outside of love or, or moving in sin, right? Again, they say, well, David, what about this, this, this? Guys, I'm not discussing um, uh, divorce right now. That's not the topic. It's an example of fallout based upon violating the law of love, okay? They will have different reaching consequences. Adultery of the heart will have consequences that will absolutely affect my marriage. It will not be the same or have the same damage that potentially will take place through physical adultery because physical, physical adultery is a sin that takes place outside the body. It also affects the other person I'm having adultery with, which sets up to soul ties, which it, other things we'll get into. So coming back around full circle, it's not that all sin is equal in the eyes of God separate topic, but all and any sin removes us from his kingdom. Once we are reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ, all and any sin will hinder to varying degrees the depth of intimacy we experience. He never rejects us. Sin prevents us from seeing and walking and flowing in the kingdom because he never changes. So if we change, we come out of alignment with the kingdom. We break communion and fellowship. So without getting too much ahead of that, we're already way over on time. Um, we will discuss that more. If you guys have questions, email me um, or, or come on the show during the live broadcast. You can ask or email me. I, will, I can answer them on the show even if you email me. This is super important, guys, because we live in the times where the prophecies of Jesus are coming to pass. He said in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. The only people that have the love of God are the church. The love of the church is growing cold in this generation. A sign of the times, guys, of, his end, of the end times coming is the church will backslide. And we don't get to pick and choose how we'll judge a backslidden church. The first and foremost way we judge how a relationship is thriving, how the bride is thriving with Christ, is not based upon talking about judgment and repent, 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 talking about how wicked our government is. It's where is our heart in relation to the Father. The love of the church has grown cold. It's time to begin looking at relationships and begin making heart adjustments where the Lord leads us to. So, praise God, there's no condemnation in any of this. As you guys know, uh, we are the righteousness of Christ. He loves us without conditions. He loves us without conditions while we were sinners. How much more so now that we have received the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. This is about intimacy, guys. So, God bless you all. You guys have a wonderful weekend. And for those of you listening afterwards, I pray that this blesses you. Please, guys, take some time. Just go over the things we talk about, and um, I think uh, it's, it'll set some amazing things in motion 
the church is meant to enter into this generation in tremendous authority and power of his nature and a demonstration of his goodness. The reason why we don't see many um, expressions of his nature is because it has to first start with our heart. It comes from our relationship with him. This is going to be the foundation, guys, the things we're going to be talking about for um, the next several studies. We're going to discuss different relationships and how to move in health and how to begin looking at the scriptures with greater accuracy and the Father's heart. So, praise God. I love all you guys. I love the body of Christ. We love the lost. And uh, have a wonderful week. And, Dorothy, I will catch up with you very shortly. Father bless, David. Carruthers, and we were hope that you were blessed by this week's broadcast. Again, if this was your first time, please stop by my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurray.com for additional teachings and insights. God bless you, and until next time, please dare to accept the fact that your heavenly Dad loves you deeply. Amen.